Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class, talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nahum Siegel Network. NahumSiegel.com. Phil Goldfitter still enjoying the post-Yontif respite. Hopefully, we'll have him back as we enter the midterm season, which is literally, literally at our doorstep. And momentous week in politics, so I couldn't miss it. Had to jump into the fray. We are post-Kavanaugh. We're in the Kavanaugh Supreme Court era. It's still the Roberts era. It's the Roberts court. But there's no question that if you look at the future of the judiciary, the long-term Republican plan to remake the judiciary and to put conservative justices in the court is essentially come to fruition. And the, the oldest well, I don't want to say because the justices themselves are not Republican or Democrat, but let's just say the oldest, what's considered conservative judge is 70. The oldest liberal judge on the more liberal side is in the 80s, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, being that I would imagine Ruth Bader Ginsburg has gone abandoned any talk of retirement over uh, at least until there's a Democratic president. Um, so... What will be, as far as the respected institutions of our country? And a lot of that, and you know, just take it from a big picture perspective, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you should have faith in the institutions of government. You should have faith in the institutions of our country. And obviously faith in the Congress has eroded tremendously. Faith in our political, our elected officials has eroded tremendously. Some of it for good reason, some of it not for such a good reason. But part of it also is because of the politics and the attacks and the relentless attacks that have come about because of politics and attacking one another and trying to one party trying to discredit another and this idea that the other people are un-American. But institutions like the courts at least the federal judiciary, which is supposed to be insulated from politics. Judges are appointed for lifetime appointments. They are not subject to election. Like in New York, for example, and many other states, judges are elected, and many times they're only on the ballot through very, I would say, opaque, <laughs> the proverbial smoke-filled room, very opaque process on which party insiders vote for judicial slate judicial nomination it's not even as if there's a judicial primary that judges run in primaries no they have a judicial convention and only party insiders can vote on both sides whether it's democrat republican or any other conservative uh any of the other parties they those had nominate judges and many times there's cross endorsement deals it's sort of judges are elected in new york and it's probably a reform who's it's do um, a long-time reform that's needed. But we'll leave that aside. The federal judiciary is supposed to be immune from politics. And we've actually seen that to a certain degree of judges of both sides uh, reversing or ruling against the government, uh, against the federal government, against the president, against Congress on many issues, which is good, which is healthy for democracy. Uh, the press has, and but now with Kavanaugh and with other judges and with the fights over the political uh, 
nature of the judges, are we eroding our faith in that institution as well? And I'll tell you what troubles me so much is that with Kavanaugh, and I, I said particularly with Senator Feinstein, I thought she did a tremendous disservice to the country by hiding w- whatever documents she had throughout the hearing, sitting on them essentially. Now, okay, she was supposed to anonymously, but somebody leaked them out. Somebody went ahead and did it. I doubt it was a Republican. So somebody made that stuff public. If you were going to make it public and you know it was eventually going to get public, then make it public. Don't make it into an ambush so that there can be. And then we had this, I think, you know, almost a kangaroo type of, I didn't want to call it a hearing. Uh, it wasn't, let's just say, wasn't in the best uh, traditions of the Senate. It wasn't in the best traditions of the country. But the also the amazing thing is when I watched the vote and I watched the way the opposition to Brett Kavanaugh came about, it was as if each and every Democratic senator was gonna voting against him because they were so outraged about his behavior. Well, most of them, almost all of them, to an end, had already announced they were going to vote against them well before there were any allegations of misconduct. So, what happened? All of a sudden, they were—they had changed their mind, but they changed their mind back because of these new allegations. No, of course not. They were already against them, and they were against them because of politics. And the politics made sense from a Democratic side, right? You, you, you have to make people happy because the Democrats were powerless, essentially, in the process. Harry Reid had already, in the you know several years ago had made a decision I think that he would live to regret and he indeed did and Democrats indeed did had made a decision to end the filibuster for judicial nominees now uh, Mitch McConnell did that for the Supreme Court so just to be fair but the ending the filibuster meaning the threshold of 60 votes that you need 60 votes to confirm a judicial nominee was ended by the then Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid a Democrat from Nevada who has since retired he did that. That was a Democrat choice in order to do that, in order to get con- judges, in, get, in order to get Obama judges confirmed. And they did that. And they ended that great tradition of the Senate of needing 60 votes that would establish moderates. And once you did that, you kind of made it just, well, we can have very narrow victories here. And that's what essentially it would be it would be great if we could go back to the time when Supreme Court justices and other appointments, which are the prerogative of the president, should be confirmed, you know, 70, 80, 90. Can you imagine such a thing that we should have, you know, get 90 votes for Supreme Court justice? Everything is so divisive. Everything is really sitting on a on a pin and that erodes the confidence that everybody has in the institution. And then another institution, another great institution, the robust press that we have here in the United States. I mean, incredible. I mean, the incredible ability of the of the press to go ahead and create transparency and to create accountability within the government. And the press's credibility is totally shot. I almost, you know, is if there's one institution that still has the respect of Americans, it's the military, and hopefully that doesn't become politicized. But over time, you know, we have, you know, a lot of presidents and Republicans and even Democrats have tried to discredit our law enforcement, uh, the FBI, or intelligence services, 
we have to go we have to be able as americans to have confidence in our institutions and i see the kavanaugh hearing and the the aftermath as as trying to do that we even have democrats right now saying that if they take the house they're going to impeach kavanaugh impeach him for what i mean it's it's just unbelievable when you think about it uh you know, they wanted this investigation. They had the investigation. There's no corroborating evidence. I'm not saying I don't believe the the accuser. I don't believe it. Um, and I said that a couple times. I, I, I don't have any reason to doubt her and doubt her story, uh, except for the fact that, you know, in the United States of America, there is a presumption of innocence, as there should be. And you can't, I don't know, believe in ending somebody's career because of that so disappointing upsetting the way things have gone and the way we're headed and now we're headed into a very intense part of the midterms and i have to say um at first i said to myself okay politically the kavanaugh thing is gonna is headed for disaster for republicans if the president has to withdraw it's going to demoralize republicans already we had in many cases many special elections republicans didn't want to come out they rallied, and I think this could very well help Republicans retain the U.S. Senate, where it looked a little bit iffy. Although there are a bunch of toss-up races, what do you think? In very red states. I mean, if you look at the map, and I think I've said this before, this should have been a banner Republican year. There were opportunities. There are opportunities for Republican pickups in Indiana, red state. Okay, Missouri, red state. Uh, Wisconsin supposed to be a Republican pickup. Ohio was supposed to be a Republican pickup. Pennsylvania possibly big, tr- you know, Trump state supposed to be a Republican pickup. None of those look like they're happening. That Rust Belt that went for Trump and you know crumbled the blue wall in 2016 has way trended the other way. And we'll have to see what 2020 looks like in the presidential year. Whether that kind of comes back. Instead, Republicans are playing defense on places like Arizona and Nevada. Now, Nevada, of course, being a state that Hillary won, so Dean Heller is the only Republican senator defending um, place. Um, Oh, I forgot West Virginia, Joe Manchin. That was a red state that the Republicans were supposed to have a pickup. And we're not really talking about that right now. No, Joe Manchin went for Brett Kavanaugh. He was the only one from his party, as Lisa Murkowski was the only one who voted against Brett Kavanaugh, the only one on the Republican side. And Joe Manchin, obviously, I I, I don't know if it's just a political calculation. He knew Brett Kavanaugh was going to win at that point. He waited till Susan Collins announced her support. So he threw in for there and removed probably a very potent campaign issue. Uh, against them. Heidi Heitkamp, on the other hand, a Democrat in North Dakota who is trailing, who looks like it's going to be a Republican pickup. Uh, that's why I didn't left her off the initial list. Uh, Heitkamp looks like she will lose, and she voted against Kavanaugh. Uh, possibly just you know to kind of cement that. With that, if you look likely as things play out, aside from a, a, a tremendous surge. Uh, the Republicans probably will hold the Senate or even get to 50-50, which means they still hold the Senate. It's hard to know. I mean, you have to see what happens in Tennessee, which is an open seat for Bob Corker's seat, uh, where Taylor Swift, Tennessee native, has endorsed 
Phil Bredson, the Democrat, against Marsha Blackburn, and then Texas even is you know in play. But you know nobody. I I don't know if the conventional wisdom really thinks that, despite the fact that Texas is being close, and now Republicans have to raise huge money for Ted Cruz because it's a huge state, in order to kind of bail him out against Beto O'Rourke. Uh, we'll see. I mean, you never know what's possible. You never know what the turnout is actually going to look like. So I think Kavanaugh helps Republicans in the Senate in these statewide races in some of these very red states. House, on the other hand, you got to think that in many of these suburban districts where women are key voters, very key voters, college-educated women, that the way the Republicans handled this uh, is... Or uh, let me put it this way. I don't think it's the way the Republicans handle it. I think the way the, re- the Democrats message this as being Repub- as cementing the idea that the Republicans are anti-women. Remember, it's very hard. I think the Republicans were fine, truthfully, until the president really started to go after uh, Christine Blasey Ford. I, I, there's no way around it. I mean, once he started, tr- truthfully, to he, he kept his mouth shut for a while, and it was very effective, and then started going after her. Um, you know, obviously it's personal because, you know, he and he said it's much himself that he feels, you know, wrongfully accused by many women. And once that happened, I think that the Republicans you know, just lost another two, three points with regard to women. And that could also juice turnout. And that really just hurts in a lot of these House races. There are 69 seats, according to most of the analysts, that are uh, that are Republican seats that are vulnerable Okay, the Repu- Democrats need 23 in order to win the House. So you have to really do well in almost every toss-up race. And even here in New York, we've got New York and New Jersey. We have some very, very competitive races. Uh, uh, the seat for uh, Leonard Lance uh, in northern Jersey or north, central Jersey um, to replace Rodney Freelinghausen. That's the 11th. That's also the... Um, so another race... I'm sorry, that's the 7th and the 11th. We got Lance and, and, um, and, that, and that seat. And very solid Repo- uh, Democratic candidates running in those seats. And here in New York, um, you have Dan Donovan, uh, an incumbent, running against Max Rose, who's... Uh, uh, an impressive campaigner, Lee Zeldin, out in the East End. Uh, I think Lee will, will win, but thought to be vulnerable. John Faso, uh, everybody rates this race a toss-up in the Hudson Valley. Uh, even John Kako in Syracuse. Uh, Tom Reed, upstate, further uh, on the southern tier. And uh, as well as uh, Elise Stefanik and Claudia Tenney. Uh, so there's a number of seats. If it goes the wrong way, if there's a wave election... Uh, a lot of Republicans, and to say nothing, of course, I'm sorry, Chris Collins, who is enmeshed in scandal um, and has been arrested, actually, has been, you know, is under indictment for insider trading, and he's still running, and he's still in the race, uh, much to the chagrin of many out there. So this is going to be a tough road, and, and, you know, take that around the country, that there are a lot of Republicans sitting there, very, very vulnerable, three weeks out, uh, looking at this and saying, wow, did we, are we now... Uh, doing even worse with women than we were beforehand. So while the Kavanaugh thing uh, would have been, uh, 
it has, I think, is helpful in many of these Senate races, many of them that are uh, in, you know, non, you know, many states are very rural, small states, uh, where it's less of a factor. Some of these, on, in, you know, in the suburban type or exurban type wealthier districts, this is going to hurt, could hurt the Republicans overall. So the other big, huge news bombshell this week uh, is Nikki Haley, ambassador to the United Nations, has announced that she is going to be resigning. And this caught everybody out of left field. I mean, nobody had any idea what was going on. And you know, it's really the first time that you see that somebody leaving the administration really on their own terms and kind of set their own uh, thing with the president. The president doesn't seem like kind of to set the you know agenda or at least set the... Uh, tone himself and Nikki Haley just kind of out of the blue just decided okay she's leaving nobody knew anybody nobody knew what was going on nobody was able to you know kind of get ahead of this nobody's able to leak it nobody was able to kill her to to you know say things about why it happened etc everybody's just left to speculate as to what's going on and she said and I have to say more than anyone else uh, from as as a pro-Israel American, Nikki Haley has done exactly what I would want the ambassador to the United States to do. Actually, I'm sorry, as a pro-American American, forget about pro-Israel, to stand for American values, to stand for democracy, to stand for truth at the United Nations, a place that really just doesn't have any semblance or idea about what's true and gives countries of all kinds of the, you know, the worst dictatorships puts them on equal footing together with the best democracies and Nikki Haley really spoke truth there uh, over and over I mean she's just the finest moments I can think of of a American ambassador you have to think back to like Gene Kirkpatrick in the Reagan days to think of somebody who was as effective at communicating America's message and to unapologetically to say what we stand for and to stand up for Israel as well, I mean, just incredibly so, uh, to say the things that were always considered undiplomatic to say uh, for Israel, Nikki Haley will be missed. I don't know. You, you have to think that she really felt it viscerally. This was not just the tone coming from, you know, the White House or coming from, you know, the peace team or from Jared Kushner or whoever it was. Uh, this, is, this had to be coming from her, you know, herself. Um, former governor of South Carolina, and I think she has a very bright future ahead. Uh, you have to think that she is a very legitimate candidate for president on the Republican side when that opportunity may arise. And just absolutely uh, incredible tenure there. And I don't know that she could be replaced, that you would ever, we could have somebody who is going to be as good, as forceful, and to be as meaningful at a place like the United Nations as Nikki Haley has been. So it's really an incredible testament to, uh, I have to thank the president for, for nominating her and for having her there. And she really took this job and just absolutely um, was a stellar, a stellar performance. Um, just really uh made us proud as Americans. And, you know, some will say, you know, the critics say, well, you know, she towed the Israeli line on uncom- 
compromising. Israel is our ally. Israel is the in, in ally of the United States. There is no reason that is that the United States shouldn't stand with Israel just because the United Nations looks at things in such a jaundiced way. This is what the United States should be doing. And we'll say that we have to be thankful for what she has. She's changed the tone. She's changed it. And and unapologetically so. And when the United States got condemned in the UN for moving the embassy to Israel, which of course, historically, is exactly what they should be doing, Nikki Haley stood up strong for that. Okay, that's it here for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Michael Fragan signing off. See you next week. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.